Welcome back to Revive School. Today we're going to conclude the book of Jeremiah with Jeremiah 51 and 52. This is lesson 49 in the Major Prophets, and I'm Pastor Tom Schieffer from Northern Indiana. And as we go into 59, this is actually a continuation of everything that we saw yesterday in Jeremiah 50. Pastor Gordy is basically passing the baton across the way because Jeremiah has a very long oracle against Babylon, and it began in 50, and it continues in 51, and we're going to see some really fun things in this continuation of this oracle, because Jeremiah is going to make sure that Babylon gets this word. So we're going to, we're going to see how this uh, fleshes out here in just a little bit, but there's conversations that actually go on in chapter 51. Uh, Jeremiah has been very direct with Babylon, and now, in by the word of the Lord, he's letting the people of God and the people of Babylon and the people of Persia know just what the Lord has in mind. Uh, the first 14 verses begins this first conversation. The Lord speaks to his own people in verses 1 to 8. Take a look at this. This is kind of fun. This is what the Lord says. I am about to stir up a destructive wind against Babylon and against the population of Lebgami, which is basically, he, he's talking here, it's a poetic reference to, to Babylon. It's literally translated, the midst of those who rise up against me. He's letting them know, I know exactly who you are. And he carries on, verse 2. I will send strangers to Babylon who will scatter her and strip her land bare, for they will come against her from every side in the day of disaster. Don't let the archer string his bow. Don't let him put on his armor. Don't spare her young men. Completely destroy her entire army. Those who were slain will fall in the land of the Chaldeans. Those who were pierced through in her streets. For Israel and Judah are not left widowed by their God, the Lord of hosts, though their land is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. Oh, he holds them accountable, but he says, I will not forget them. I'm going to bring comfort. Carry on to 6, 7, and 8. Leave Babylon. Save your lives, each of you. Don't perish because of her guilt. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her for what she deserves. Babylon was the golden cup in the Lord's hand. Isn't that a beautiful hymn? making the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations go mad. But suddenly Babylon fell and was shattered. Wait for her. Get balm for her wound. Perhaps she can be healed. Now, this is a word from God as he speaks to Israel in the midst of all of this. He's letting them know, look, this is what's coming on Babylon. I'm doing this. I want you to understand this. And I'm letting Babylon know I'm letting you know. And then he says, if you can do anything to heal her, perhaps she can be healed. What does that remind you guys of? How could Babylon possibly have been healed by Israel? Well, there's blessed go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. 
There's that. What I was actually trying to point towards was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And all of the miracles that happened in the midst of that happened in Babylon, and they went, whoa. So he says, look, I'm even providing for Babylon as bad as she is. Maybe, just maybe through you, Babylon can be healed. But the conversation prophetically goes on. Look at verses 9 and 10. We tried to heal Babylon, but she could not be healed. Abandon her. This is Israel speaking back to God prophetically in the voice of Jeremiah. Let each of us go to his own land, for her judgment extends to the sky and reaches as far as the clouds. There's that, that image there. and Look at how this resolves here in uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. The Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let's tell in Zion what the Lord our God has accomplished. And he carries on. Sharpen the arrows. Fill the quivers. The Lord has put it into the mind of the kings of the Medes because his plan is aimed at Babylon to destroy her. For it is the Lord's vengeance. Vengeance for his temple. What did Gordy talk about yesterday? Raise up a signal flag against the walls of Babylon. Fortify the watchpost. Set the watchman in place. Prepare the ambush. For the Lord has both planned and accomplished what he has threatened against those who live in Babylon. You who reside by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come. Your life thread is cut. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, I will fill you up with men as with locusts, and they will sing the victory song over you. Uh, let's put the map up for just a second, just so we can see this imagery that, that Jeremiah is breathing out, because Babylon here in the midst of the Tigris and Euphrates River, this fertile crescent, this incredibly rich land by the rivers, he says, nothing's going to save you, nothing's going to happen to you, there is a pattern that we see in Scripture uh, that God's judgment is going to come against Babylon is in part because they destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. We're going to see that here as we get into, into chapter 52 because Jeremiah's wrap-up, epilogue, if you will, actually describes that. But notice how God had appointed a judgment to come on Israel. He used a human instrument in that judgment. This is a pattern. In this case, it's Babylon. The human instrument was motivated by God, but then they got their own sinful desires in the way, and so God brought judgment on the instrument he used. There's a constant pattern, and, and, and we see that as it goes on there. But I want you to see something in verse 20, because Jeremiah does another... Um, prophetic conversation. He begins to Cyrus in verse 20 to 23. And it's a really, really interesting set. And then he gives a statement to Israel in verse 24. And then he goes back to talking to Babylon in verses 25 to 26. Now look, 20 to 23. You are my battle club, my weapons of war. With you, I will smash nations. I will smash 
nations. With you, I will bring kingdoms to ruin. With you, I will smash the horse and its rider. With you, I will smash the chariot and its rider. With you, I will smash man and woman. With you, I will smash the old man and the youth. With you, I will smash the young man and the young woman. With you, I will smash the shepherd and his flock. With you, I will smash the farmer and his ox team. With you, I will smash governors and officials. Is there a bigger mission statement than that? <laughs> I mean, that, that repetition. But then he says to Israel, understand this. I will repay Babylon and all the residents of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your very eyes. This is the Lord's declaration. And then he turns his attention to Babylon. Look, I am against you, devastating mountain. This is the Lord's declaration. You devastate the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the cliffs, and turn you into a charred mountain. And he wraps it up. No one will be able to retrieve a cornerstone or a foundation stone from you because you will become desolate forever. This is the Lord's declaration. These are absolutely fascinating. The conversational aspects and, and how we have to really breathe into it to see this and how Jeremiah is bringing all this out because he's bringing comfort, he's bringing mission, he's bringing judgment all at the same time. Um, it's just a really, really powerful thing. I want to jump on 27 to 48 of Jeremiah 51 is really a somewhat confusing uh, section and no one's really certain what who exactly Jeremiah is speaking to other than this message is going to go to Babylon. But there's a couple things that I want you to see. Um, let's go to verse 27. Raise a signal flag in the Lamb, blow a ram's horn among the nations, set apart the nations against her, summon kingdoms against her. Ararat, Mini, and Askena, appoint a marshal against her, bring up horses like a swarm of locusts. Now, a lot of the cities, let's stay in verse 27 for a second, because a lot of cities in Jeremiah, we don't have any clue where they were. They're, they're mentioned. Archaeologists haven't found them. But these three kingdoms, Ararat, Mini, and Eskenaz, which I've just butchered the pronunciation of that name, they are all found in present-day Armenia to the north of Babylon. They were identified... They're actually in Assyrian cuneiform scripts. Cuneiform was a type of writing that kind of looks like wedges. And so they are actually named. These are real countries. And they are actually associated and connected with the empire of the Medes. He's letting them know, don't try to escape. I've got your northern. I've got the allies of the Medes and the Persians. I've got this covered. You're not getting out of here. Now look at what's going on here next. In verse 28, set apart the nations for battle against her, the kings of Media, her governors and all her officials, and all the lands they rule. Uh, there was a talk show way back in the day that they did a bit where things that make you go, hmm. And here's one of those things that make you go, hmm. Set apart the nations for battle against her. This is against Babylon in the context of the real Babylon of the day of Jeremiah, but we also know 
prophetically, as you look through the lens to the second coming, that there's an element of Babylon is, is also spiritual in all of those that stand opposed to God. And what's interesting, when Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians, it was by a confederation of nations, all of that were in their sphere of influence. That's also true of the ultimate destruction of Babylon as described in Revelation 17 and 18. In the immediate, we see it, but that is a visual foreshadowing of what's to come at the end of time. Absolutely fascinating. Let's take a quick jump so that we keep on walking through this because there's more conversation that Jeremiah does. As you get down to uh, verse 33, For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. Daughter Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time it is trampled. In just a little while, her harvest time will come. Notice this. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has devoured me. Notice, he's talking about Israel. He has crushed me. He has set me aside like an empty dish. He has swallowed me like a sea monster. He's filled his belly with my delicacies. He has vomited me out. This is what Jerusalem is saying, says the the inhabitant of Zion. Let the violence done to me and my family be done to Babylon. Let my blood be on the inhabitants of Chaldea, says Jerusalem. So you know who's talking. This is Jerusalem saying, oh, please, crying out to God. And it's part of the prophetic, again, word against Babylon that Jeremiah gives. But then the Lord assures them he will deal with Babylon as they deserve. Verse 36, and we'll, we'll kind of go here a bit. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to plead your case and take vengeance on your behalf. I will dry up her sea and make her fountain run dry. Babylon will become a heap of rubble, a jackal's den, a desolation, and an object of scorn without inhabitant. And he goes through all the way through. All the way down to verse 44. Let's go to verse 44 for a second, just so you can see this. I will punish Bel in Babylon. Again, Bel is the god of Babylon. This is Baal, Baal in Babylon. I will make him vomit what he has swallowed. The nations will no longer stream to him because everybody was coming to Babylon. Even Babylon's wall will fall. Notice that another nation's God is dealt with here. We saw that with Ammon. We saw it with Moab. And here it's with Bel. And Bel is coming. Well, it's going to receive judgment. Now, this is interesting. Uh, As I was studying, the Babylonian hymn to Bel... They actually wrote a hymn to Bell. We have it recorded uh, that they found. Again, cuneiform, which is those wedged things that you kind of pushed into the, into the clay, reveals him as supreme ruler, life giver, God of justice, he who holds society together, controller of the elements, particularly fire. Bell masquerading as God. Does that sound like anybody else we've ever dealt with? Here, you know, notice prophetically in the current political climate, but he's also focusing on the end of time. He's going to bring him down. These oracles cry out to us today. 
Um, our deities may have different names now, but the source is the same. They come from Satan. And notice how many times we bow down to a whole lot of different idols. God's not going to stand for it. He just is not. So here comes this command then to leave. After the punishment of the idols, he says to Israel in verse 45, Come out from among her, my people. Save your lives, each of you, from the Lord's burning anger. May you not become faint-hearted and fearful when the report is proclaimed in the land, for the report will come one year and then another the next year, and there will be violence in the land with ruler against ruler, and he goes on. He says, come out from among Babylon. We know that they don't get to leave Babylon until Cyrus of Media Persia gives them the permission, and back comes Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel and all of those. But he's calling them out, and notice how that's going to sound like revelation. We need to understand everything that Isaiah and Jeremiah and the rest of the prophets are going to breathe into us, because then all of a sudden everything in Revelation is going to become so much more clear. We don't have time, but there's these final two oracles that he kind of sums up everything that he says about Babylon. But I want you to hear this, because he wraps this up. Uh, let's look at uh, 52 and 53, just so that we get a sense of this. Therefore, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will punish her carved images, and the wounded will groan throughout her land. Even if Babylon should ascend to the heavens and fortify her tall fortresses, destroyers will come against her from me. This is the Lord's declaration. It's done. It is Done. And then he goes and he finishes all of this out. Um, but here's what gets very fascinating for me. Let's go to verse 59. He concludes and then he, he says, I'm going to give instructions and a visual aid to this entire prophecy. This is going to be the least popular poetry reading in all of Babylon. Here's the instructions. Look at verse 59. This is what Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, son of Neriah, son of Mahasaiah, the quartermaster, who went to Babylon with King Zedekiah of Judah in the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign. I'm going to hold off. Let's go to it quickly, and we'll come back to 59, but I want to get to our timeline so you guys can see this, because this is the only indication of this moment. Zedekiah is the last king. He's, you know... Since his dad, Josiah, has been killed, it's not gone well. And Zedekiah is in the fourth year of a nine-year reign. In the fourth year, it says, Zedekiah is going to Babylon. He's going to Babylon because he's been actually conspiring against Babylon. It gets discovered. We find that out in a lot of the other chronicles and in Kings. And he's going to go say, I really didn't mean it. I, I, I really didn't mean it. Please don't hurt me. You know, he, that's... Tom's paraphrase, of course, but he goes there and he takes Sarahiah, who is high priest, along with him. Jeremiah trusts Sarahiah so much, he says, I am going to give you this prophecy. Take a look, go on. Jeremiah, verse 60, wrote on one scroll about the disaster that would come to Babylon. All these words were written against Babylon. Jeremiah told Sarahiah, when you go get to Babylon... See that you read all these words aloud. 
You must say, Lord, you have threatened to cut off this place so that no one will live in it, man or beast. Indeed, it will remain desolate forever. And when you have finished reading this scroll, tie a stone to it, throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River. And then say, in the same way, Babylon will sink and never rise again because of the disaster I am bringing on her. They will grow weary. And the words of Jeremiah end here. Now, this is really so incredible. Jeremiah puts it all into a scroll. He hands it to Sariah, who, And he says, go to Babylon with Zedekiah. Read this to all of Babylon. I'm not going to let Babylon off. I'm letting them know exactly what's coming and the opportunities that they actually have before them. And Sariah is grandson of the high priest Hilkiah. If you go back to Chronicles, go back to Kings, see how this works out. Hilkiah was the high priest who discovered the lost book of the law during Josiah's reign and brought it out and then read it and the people were broken. He's also the grandfather of Joshua ben Zodak, the high priest who's going to come back at the exile with Zerubbabel. Now take a look at this. He's kind of in the middle, two generations removed from two sides of, of the establishment and the word and all of that. And he's actually another branch from this man, possibly is the ancestor of Ezra. This is a man of God. Here is a hero of scripture that I had never known anything about. I went zipping by this and he took the word of Jeremiah and at great risk to himself steps into Nebuchadnezzar's backyard and pronounces all of the word that Jeremiah said. When you get to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud. I mean, this is like going, I, I don't, I don't, where's your greatest enemy? It's like going into, you know, the Green Bay Packers land if you're a Bears fan. Yeah. I mean, it's that analogy. You go into the heart of whatever, and in that context, nobody's going to like what you have to say. None. Will you stand up for the word of God even when everybody hates you? This is a word for us. I mean, Jeremiah's word is new covenant. In the power of the new covenant, with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we have strength that they didn't even have. And we're called, no matter what, no matter if they hate us, in humility, but in power and truth, to declare the word of the Lord, no matter if they hate us. Which could mean people in your own congregation. It could. And it says at the end of 51 that these are the end of the words of Jeremiah. Um, we're not quite sure who writes 52? Some think maybe Jeremiah penned an epilogue. Uh, maybe Baruch did. We don't know. But the, the final wrap-up and the end and an immediate realization of everything that uh, Jeremiah prophesied is here. Zedekiah is king. He did evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. That's verse 2. Because of the Lord's anger, it came to a point in Jerusalem and Judah that he finally banished them from his presence. 
Nevertheless, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. That's what we just talked about. But in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. He laid siege to the city and built a siege wall all around it. And the city was under siege until King Zedekiah's eleventh year. How long a siege? Ninth year? Eleventh year? Two years. In our history of the United States, the siege of Vicksburg was a month and a half. Siege of Masada was several months. This is a siege of two years. Agony is condensed into three verses. And then verses uh, 6 to 11 wrap up what happened. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that the people of the land had no food. Then the city was broken into and all the warriors fled and left the city by night by way of the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Chaldeans surrounded the city. They made their way along the route to the Arabah. They thought they were getting out, but no, the Chaldean army pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. Zedekiah's, Zedekiah's entire army was scattered from him. The Chaldeans seized the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. And here comes the sentence. At Riblah, the king of Babylon slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes and also slaughtered the Judean commanders. Then he blinded Zedekiah and bound him with bronze chains. And the king of Babylon brought Zedekiah to Babylon, where he kept him in custody until his dying day. The last thing Zedekiah saw was the murder of his sons. The Assyrians were extremely brutal. They skinned alive their captives. But the king of Babylon, while not quite as brutal, understood fear and understood torture. And that's what he left. And then, and then, this also fulfills, it looks like, fulfilling a promise that God made through Ezekiel. Ezekiel 12, 13, regarding Zedekiah, shortly before the fall of Zerubbabel. And this is pretty fun. But I will spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it, and he will die there. Foreshadowing. And then there's the whole destruction. We don't have time today of the, how they just tore it all off and how they destroyed all of the temple, all of Jerusalem. How then here comes the chief priests, Sariah, Zephaniah, the priest of the second rank, verse 24, and three doorkeepers, and they are all killed. Multiple men are killed. And then there's the deportations that we'll really look into with Daniel. And that's described in verses 28, 29, and 30. But then there's Jehoiachin. Remember in our Zedekiah had replaced Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin is still hanging around and he's been taken. And there's this really bizarre conclusion. It's kind of like, we're going to give a happy ending to Jeremiah after all of the judgment. But it's more than that. What's our word for Jeremiah? New covenant. New covenant. The new covenant is going to come through the son of David. Jehoiachin. Take a look. On the 25th day of the 12th month of the 37th year of the exile of Judah's king Jehoiachin, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, son of 
Nebuchadnezzar, in the first year of his reign, pardoned King Jehoiachin of Judah and released him from prison. He spoke kindly to him and set, on, set his throne above the thrones of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And so Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes and he dined regularly in the presence of the king of Babylon for the rest of his life. As for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death for the rest of his life. It's a pretty nice ending. And that's the last word we have. Well, Jeremiah had prophesied judgment on the land and all that's fulfilled. But Jeremiah also saw a hope for the future. Jehoiachin foreshadows the future. He's redeemed. He's saved. And the continuing of the king line is preserved for the son of David. Highlighting the new covenant to come in the real son of David, Jesus Christ. I think Jeremiah at the end was making sure he pointed to Christ as a fulfillment of the promise. And so ends the book of Jeremiah, but his lament is just beginning. 